Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everybody. Go to strengthguild.com, S-T-R-E-N-G-T-H-G-U-I-L-D.com. Scroll down to the Iron Radio Collections, and we've got new shirts and new banners for you to support the show. Everything from just a regular banner, regular shirt, to ones with sayings on them, like Lonnie's Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree shirt. And some news for you, we're going to have some contests for people who own these shirts and things. So if you support the show, we'll let you more on that later. So if you get in on these early, you can be one of the first people to win some prizes. So, thank you very much. Go check out the site, strengthguild.com. Scroll down to Iron Radio Collections and support the show. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. We're at it again. I am a professor of nutrition and exercise physiology, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. And this is Phil Stevens, Strength Coach. I run Strength Guild. I'm a competitive powerlifter, Highland Games athlete, and just like competing in things. Nice. This is Dr. Mike Nelson, professor at Rocky Mountain University, Georgia Southern University, uh, Kerrigan Institute, and yeah, so just finishing up uh, skateboarding in the South Padre, so by the time this goes out, I will be sort of on my way home via long, a uh, couple other stops. Yeah, <laughs> it's too simple <laughs> for you just to go home. You're going to have to I know, travel we'll be in Dallas for a while, visiting people, then we'll be in Oklahoma City for family stuff for Thanksgiving, and so, yeah, we drove, so it's, if you really push it, it's about 26-ish hours, so taking two or three days isn't such a bad thing. Yeah, yeah. Okay, everyone, we have a show today for you that's primarily about Phil's meat, Phil's big meat. We didn't get to really do a deep dive into that. I have one male uh, and one piece of news last week i had mentioned something about clever ways to reduce sugar intake and you know we were talking with dr campbell and you know dr nelson is all about the flexibility kind of thing and sometimes that means at least sometimes reducing carbs so we'll get to that little piece of mail first the news though i'm pretty sure we did not read this one this is from uh gabby again who by the way is the winner of our fall contest she's going to get the tahoe swag bag uh, her and her nice. family um, she just said, uh, hi guys, it's Gabby again. I emailed you a bit ago, uh, about the bag of stuffness, uh, that we might win through Facebook post and to share my story and the love of the show. Uh, she says, so every year we do a strength challenge at work. Um, last time we did one was before my double PRP procedure on my hips. Uh, and that's when I couldn't walk. Of course it was hard just by not moving. I gained about 15 pounds and became a little meatball. Now, you know, this is all relative, right? Because she's a petite person, as I understand mm-hmm. it. Like 15 pounds is like a day and a half for Phil. I don't know. <laughs> um, anyway, um, so they decided to, now that she's back to dancing and walking and hitting the gym, they decided to do a strength challenge. Um, it says, we find our one rep max in the squat, deadlift, bench, and standing military press in relation to our weight. Uh, and 16 weeks later, we do it again to find out how much stronger we got. Uh, so I wanted to share my numbers with you all. On my bench, I got 107 pounds, deadlift 217, military press 80 and a half, uh, and my squat was 200 pounds. Uh, so it says, it's an exciting start for me. We keep listening to you guys every day, taking notes and your advice. Thank you for all you guys do uh, and the research and good news. We love you guys. My husband finally got around to donating last week to the funds drive. Uh, he said, if you have an old logo mug, uh, he'd love to have one. And Phil, we could talk about that, like making some cool yeah. mm-hmm. other stuff since you can create anything. Um, so thank you for that, Gabby. It's good to get updates and see how people are progressing after stuff like surgeries. I mean, we've all all been through that. Um, Strength and muscle sport news. This is the sugar one. Uh, consumers seek out ways to reduce their sugar intake. 
It says uh, sugar reduction remains a central topic in the media and among consumers. So, of course, everyone is looking for opportunities uh, to create low-carb products. That's not just the demands of the consumers, right? Companies want to cash in on this. Uh, so in an Innova, I-N-N-O-V-A, Innova Market Insight Survey, sugar reduction is a popular option uh, for three in five U.S. consumers who would rather cut back on sugar than to actually consume artificial sweeteners. That makes me think of when we had uh, Anthony Almada on ages ago, and I, I did a quick fire with him, and I said, artificial sweetener or sugar? And he chose sugar. Um, he was that turned off by some of the artificial sweeteners. And the guy knows what he's talking about. So um, any case, three out of five consumers actually rather cut back on sugar instead of just going the artificial, non-nutritive sweetener route. In the United States... 8% of all new food and beverage launches tracked by Innova Market Insights in 2018 featured a sugar reduction claim. So that's almost 1 in 10 products, mm. right? It's 1 in 12 maybe uh, products. Um, claims of no added sugar were most prominent, accounting for 42% of all the sugar-related claims, uh, which came in ahead of sugar-free, which was 36%, and low sugar on the label, 27%. Um, and that low sugar claim was the fastest growing uh, with a growth rate of 17% uh, between 2014 and 2018. Uh, I do think you have to be careful sometimes. Like I'll buy on occasion no added sugar ice cream. And that just sounds like, okay, maybe they're not jamming it full of uh, sugar. But no, then you look and there's sorbitol, you know, and sorbitol taken more than a couple of grams at a time is going to give you gas for a lot of people and diarrhea and stuff like that but anyway sugar reduction can be achieved in a number of ways including removing or reducing the amount of added sugar that's what i actually prefer but uh, replacing part of the sugar formulation with non-nutritive sweeteners so again non-nutritive i always thought it was a bit of a, a misnomer but essentially things with no calories artificial sweeteners you might call them and or using innovative processing technologies such as aeration to increase the perceived sweetness. Uh, slow straining milk to remove sugar prior to yogurt making is another thing they do. Or using enzymes to convert simple sugars to fiber in juices. So if you see fiber in your juice, that might be something they've done. Um, so obviously there's interest in all this stuff. And I don't just think it's the keto thing. I'm, I mean, I'm sure you guys can agree. Everybody seems to be looking at sugar with a jaundiced eye a little bit more than they used to. Uh, it's not just low fat all the time. Um, so it says, uh, interest in sugar substitution has driven the rise in the use of sweeteners, particularly the non-nutritive ones derived from nature are very popular, like stevia, monk fruit. And I don't, I'm not familiar with this one. Thaumatin, Mike, do you know, or Phil? Mm -mm. T-H, yeah, T-H-A-U-M-A-T-I-N, Thaumatin, I don't know. Um, allulose which also occurs naturally in small colonies and a variety of sweet foods, such as figs, uh, can also be manufactured synthetically, it says. Uh, there was a 2019 announcement in April by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration that allulose did not have to be included in the total and added sugar column on the label. Mm -hmm. So that, of course, created a lot of excitement. It says um, patent activity uh, indicative of current interests in the use of allulose uh, showed a rise of 42% in 2018. So I don't know. Something to keep your eyes on, uh, listeners, I suppose, is allulose. Companies are loving it because they don't have to add it to the sugar portion of the label, and yet it has sweetening qualities. And then, of course, the last approach they just note here is basically embracing other flavor notes, bitter, sour, spicy, right? There are other flavors in foods. Americans seem to love their their sugar, but maybe it's just a matter of appreciating other sugar notes and, and companies are trying that right if i add a little bit more something sour maybe it doesn't have to be as sugary stuff like that mm. <clears throat> and that's it that's the mail and the news the mail and the news all right phil let's just have some gym talk then um yeah so um let's start at the beginning at the beginning how, how did your process begin what what was your impetus to even do this and how did you start well, I've been dialing back 
and trying to decide that I'll probably do one meet a year just because I'm busy and I'm old. (laughs) (laughs) And at this point, you know, I mean, I'm probably reaching my ceiling for my age, kind of. So it takes me a long time to make progress. And I can't push as hard as I used to, which makes progress take longer. So, um, and honestly, I mean, I just can't stay heavy year round and things like that. I'm, I'm 43 now, and it's just I want to be around for a while. So. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Stuff like that uh, spurred that decision. And then it was like, okay, well, what meat do I want to do? And, you know, I've always had fun out at Jesse's Meat, out at Record Breakers. It's a, it's a big meat. It's a fun meat. It's always well ran with good people. So I've kind of pulled into that'll probably be my meat once a year. So this one was coming up. I missed last year's because uh, I had to take a, a lifter to Worlds, and it was the same weekend. Oh. So, <clears throat> so that's why I didn't go last year. But uh, so yeah, I signed up for that reason. I mean, it's just it's the it'll probably be my meet every year uh, that I really train for. That's not saying I won't do some athletic events during the year, but I, they won't have the concentration that this one did. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll still do uh, Highland Games for the hell of it and things like that. Uh, so. It'll it'll sort of be like your Mr. Olympia, like or your Arnold Classic, like the big yeah, exactly. yearly, yeah, you know, yeah. And, and maybe I'll do one, you know, if I'm training up for this or something, and I'm six months out. Hey, there's a power left to me. Go do it and go and go nine for nine, something. I don't know, but this will be the one meet every year that I push towards and look to do something pretty big. So that was the plan behind that, and just trying to trying to narrow myself down compared to what I, I used to compete all the time, and I just can't do that anymore. So, I mean, for, for numerous reasons. I mean, I guess I could, but it wouldn't be smart. So, uh, that, that's the main reason behind behind doing that meet and signing up for it. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a good one to choose, I imagine. I mean, there's a lot of notable people there, right? It's, it's yeah. fa- fairly big, right? Isn't it? Yeah, it's a pretty big meet. Two days, uh, 65 lifters each day. So, four flights each day. And it's an, I like it because it's not... I've done some other meets that's nothing but big lifters. Um, this is a nice mix of people totally new to the sport oh. and really high level. So, like, your first two flights are usually people that are just brand new to the sport. Uh, and then the second two flights each day are more of your uh, veterans in the game. How, your, how, your do they, how do they do that? Is there a novice class and a, and a like, pro, or how, how do they do that? No, it's literally just on my load on the bar. Oh, so, okay. okay. <laughs> you know, your first flight goes from this to this. Like my flight, um, almost everybody was was, was hitting uh, high sixes in the squat for openers. Oh, so, wow. So, and then there was a flight after us that were mainly super heavies, 308s and super heavies, where it was higher than that. So, um, yeah, that's kind of, it's just by literally by load on the bar because that makes it easier on your loaders, mm-hmm. loaders and spotters. So mainly the loaders. You know, if you were going from 135 up to 800, it would suck to be a loader. You know, so basically, <laughs> right. the bar only ever stripped back down to 600. You know, I the, see when you start for your seconds. Right, so, right, yeah. yeah uh, well, I I figure there must be a big draw. I mean, I know you're friends with a lot of those guys, but I mean, yeah. traveling to California. That I mean, you live in Kansas. I mean, that's a commitment. Yeah. You know. So. Well, and and the other reason is I also live there, so we still have lots of friends out there. So there's a lot of people that don't get to see me often, and I get to go see them while I do my meet and, and things like that. And, you know, even the people I work with and I'm close with as friends, you know, Mark and Jesse and all them are all right out there. So it's just yeah. another reason to go visit them, too. Yeah. So, right. No, that's I get it. I get a lift. I get a lift with people that I used to, and I don't get to see that often. <clears throat> yeah. So. Yeah. Um, Mike, let me ask you just quick. You travel so much. Uh, I'm sure I know this, but... What about traveling to compete? When, you, when you've done different things, I know you've dabbled in all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Is that more um, upper Midwest? or Because like Denny Stones and stuff like that requires serious travel if you ever want to do that. How much do you travel plus compete, you know? Um, it usually just depends on what I'm trying to do. So my goal with the Denny Stones is to lift them by the time I'm 50. So I figure I'll... Try to plan a trip somewhere around there, right around the time I'm 50. And the reality is that may or may not happen. I know probably what I need to hit in the gym. I mean, in the gym, I'd like to hit a closer to 800, even though they're 734, because you get no 
no reps, nothing else, and one shot, no warm up, no nothing. <laughs> so it's a little different, and they sit outside and all that kind of stuff too. Um, for the the grip competition we did in Finland, it was basically just more of a reason to watch our friend, you know, compete. And the guy who was running it's like, well, you know, you should just compete. My buddy Adam standing next to him, he's like, oh, he's done a bunch of grip competitions that I've, you know, refereed and stuff for before. So he's like, yeah, just just compete. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, so that was fun. Just to, I figured, well, then also we're going to be able to go over to Finland for a week and just kind of hang out and, you know, hang out with them. And, you know, if I'm going to be standing there all day, I might as well compete in the meet anyway. You right. know, we're going to be there all day. So uh, it just kind of depends on what's going on. I If I had a choice, I don't really like traveling to compete because you have that stress of travel and all that stuff on top of it. But the flip side, I'm not really doing it to be ultra competitive. I just have numbers that I want to hit, you know, personally. Yeah. So it works out. Right. It, it's funny. The two locations we just talked about, I think, are you can romanticize. These are sort of legendary muscle and strength. Yeah. California I'm and okay. Finland. Those are the two places I would pick, I think. You know, like legendary, not just um, <clears throat> strength athletes, but even researchers and stuff like that. So. Yeah, especially for grip sport, it's it's like a big thing over there. I mean, it's still a niche, you know, sport, but compared to the U.S., it's, I mean, there's a lot of people that competed there that literally that's all they do. That's their number one sport, and they've been doing it for like friggin' decades. Oh, totally. You know, it's pretty crazy to see. Yeah. I mean, the one time I was in Finland, it was for the first international was it weightlifting and strength training conference or something. And oh, yeah. it was a it was a big deal. Yeah, it felt very Olympics like, you know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, all right, Phil. Before we go to break, let's just um, we. So you committed to a meet. What's the first thing you think about? Are you start setting short term goals? Do you have a long term goal? Like Mike just talked about, almost like a decade goal. You know, yeah. Like, how did you uh... approach the goal setting? Uh, honestly, at this point, it's just do better, <laughs> even if it's a little bit. And I always, I'm one to set lofty goals. I always have something really big in my mind that I probably can't reach. And I think that's a positive thing. Um, because by setting a goal that high, generally you're going to probably get better than you were before. <laughs> even if you don't reach that goal, if you really strive for that goal, um, there's a really good chance you're going to get closer to that, which yes. means you're going to beat what you've done before. Yes. So, uh, and and I don't think it's a bad thing not to reach goals. You know, it's, I mean, you should, everybody should be striving for something that, Hey, I, I may not ever do this, but I'm going to freaking try hard. And yeah. by doing so, you end up going a long ways. You know, Phil, so, if, um, I, if, if I can interject, one of the things that I think about with that is so many guys, you go to gyms around the country and they're the big fish in the small pond, right? Mm-hmm. But, if you're if you're a guy that compares yourself to a national or a world standard, even if you don't get there, you're going to surpass the big fish in the small pond, right? Exactly. Almost certainly. I mean, that's true in bodybuilding too. So, mm-hmm. just an observation. <laughs> so yeah, my goal, my goal on squat was the, through the whole training set cycle was 800. You know, that's it. That's what I had every every rep I did. It was on 800. Um, thinking about 800. So I mean, did I get that? No. Um, a couple of things went into play there, but, um, you know, I'd still squatted more than I ever have. And then my second goal is always with the, basically I won't, <laughs> I won't do a meet unless I can lift at least 700 pounds on deadlift. Um, I would be pissed off at myself. Uh, okay. so mm-hmm. I knew I would do at least that. And then bench for me right now is just, I don't care. So my shoulder is so iffy. Um, I have a torn labrum that's just hasn't been fixed. And some days it's great, and a lot of days it's not. So it's just going there. Basically, I always know that I'm going to be able to do 315. Like, I won't do a meet if I can't bench 315. Um, I would look like an idiot in my mind, even though I really wouldn't. Mm-hmm. But, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and that's what everybody was like, holy crap, you almost totaled 1,800 on a poverty bench. I was like, yeah, so, I mean, if I, I could actually bench, I'd do pretty good. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh so I knew I'd be somewhere between 315 and 405 on bench, and I was. I think I hit 365 or something like that. Um, so and I called it on my second. Mm-hmm. So I didn't even take a third because I could feel the shoulder was like going to pop out. So I was like, I'm done. So um, that's it. I had goals for my, my main goals of late have, have been on the squat since I came back because my deadlift, was, I just know it's there. So like forever. <laughs> because I was gonna, yeah, it's just there. Yeah. I don't, but, but now, 
now this is like the first time I've ever out squatted my deadlift in a meet. So I was like, okay, well, I guess I better start concentrating on deadlift again. So, <laughs> um, so I'll have to give a little bit of a <clears throat> concentration on that in this off season and things like that. So. Yeah, I didn't think about the fact that this is the first time you out squatted your pull. That's that's yeah. crazy. I mean, for you, for ten yeah. years, you've always been the yeah. deadlift guy. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah, first time I ever out squatted, and this is the first time I've ever done. Uh, 700 i've deadlifted 700 after squatting over 700 so which yeah. is a different animal <laughs> mm-hmm. it takes a lot out of you so um um but. didn't we have eddie Cohn? was it that was talking about that like he's a big fan of you do all three lifts because it's just a different yes. animal right to yeah to do a big pull in squat in the same day you know that big like one rep max completely you know maxed out mm-hmm. kind of thing it's not the same thing as these specialists who just come in and just do do one thing no and you that's know. like not taking anything away from Kaler Olam, who's a, a hell of a deadlifter and he's a hell of a lifter all the way around um but in my mind he, he's the one who beat eddie Cohn's deadlift record at 220 uh. um but in my mind you know i think when he broke it the first time he squatted like 650 and then, then broke Eddie's, Eddie's deadlift record. There's a big difference in squatting like 900 and then pulling that mm-hmm. like Eddie did. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and that's not, I'm not, like I said, I'm not taking anything away from Taylor. He could probably get there. He's still super young. So, uh, and look at me. My deadlift was always really high and it took a long time to get my squat up there. But uh, to pull, to squat something really big. And then, like five hours later, pull something really big. Is uh, it's a different animal. Well, so. yeah, it, it takes a certain level of robustness. I think it's a different kind yeah. of challenge, you know, to yeah. your, uh, I don't know, your ability, kind of thing. Well, that's a we we added up my. I don't do a lot of warm ups as far as reps go, um, but even then, so I'll take like a double or a single at each weight that I'm going up. Or if you know, if I'm feeling bad, I'll do a lot of singles at 135. Um, but just my, just my squat warmups was a little over 6,000 pounds total volume. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, you add up all that over a day yeah. and then you have all your bench warmups and all your deadlift warmups plus all this time. And then you're also amped up for nine lifts. Uh, yeah. It wears you out. Right on. No, I hear you. Uh, I've <clears> noticed <throat> when, when I've seen videos of you and stuff like you're the, well, you're a power lifter, right? So mm-hmm. this is my bodybuilder eyes. I'm thinking, Phil isn't like sinking his ass between his heels. I mean, that's not your point, and that's also yes, because of your hip. Is that right? Like when you warm yes. up and stuff, yeah. like you save the depth for the the main event. Is that fair? Yeah, I'd say that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's it. Doesn't matter. I mean, that's what everybody's like. Oh, squats high in training. It's like, yeah, don't worry about it. It'll be there. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of those reasons is literally my orthopedist said, "Yeah, you can train as heavy as you want to." Um, he gave me the okay to, and I don't think he actually knew how heavy I was going to train. But <laughs> yep. he, he said that. <laughs> he said that, so I took it as scripture. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, he said, but what I'd like you to do is train most of the time a few inches high mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it's less stress on that hip. So, I mean, for me, I know right. it's there. Right. Come meet day, I just got to send it home. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and my is usually my left hip will be a little higher than my right, but even lately, even that hip's been getting my mobility's gotten a lot better. But yeah, so if you're watching training videos or whatnot, and it's like, oh, it feels a little high, this and that. Yeah, I know that. I don't right. worry about it. Hey, you know, it's, it's on purpose. So, Mike, I mean, you're the anatomist among us, I think, for the most part. Um, <laughs> extreme hip flexion—that's going to be what pops out that femoral head kind of thing. Is that is that right? Yeah, I mean, my guess, and I haven't looked at an actual biomechanical analysis, so someone can write in and correct us, but just looking at it and visualizing through my head, like the amount of stress, I would think it's exponentially closer to parallel. Now, it may actually drop a little bit once you kind of get through that that point a little bit, mm-hmm. but I would just imagine, I mean, I did a little bit of hip replacement stuff. I was doing solid mechanics, which one of my initial projects was bone fixation devices. And man, just thinking about the amount of stress and, you know, compression and shear and everything going through there. Plus you've got all the tissue that's been rebuilt around it and stuff too. It's it's pretty darn crazy. And I wouldn't be as worried about the 
mechanics of the hip replacement per se, but what's called stress shielding around it. So you've got discontinuous materials. And so your brain goes, hey, we've got this super strong metal here that's a slightly different property. We don't need all this bone next to it. Let's just get rid of some of this because we don't need it. So the advantage that Phil has is he's actually been stressing that a fair amount. So it's mm -hmm. probably going to be better prepared uh, to handle it. But at some point, that's going to be a little bit of a new and unique stress that it's a catch-22 because you don't want to train it all the time per se. Mm -hmm. But you want to get as close to it as you can to make sure that when you actually go there, everything else can handle it too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I worry about for Phil in the past was that sort of the metal bone interface. I'm like, we've talked about, like, if anything mm -hmm. lets go it, it, with that, it's going to, it's going to, yeah, no fireworks, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I've, I've, there was a long time when I was first starting back that that's all I could picture was like, oh boy, if this thing comes <laughs> out. It's going to take a fraction of a second, and the spotters will not get it. Yeah, you know, because no. it's just going to literally pop, and I'm going to fall. Um, mm -hmm. But I had to let that go. You know, that was a mental hurdle I had to cross, and it's like, yeah, well, if and when it happens, it happens. Yeah. So. Well, obviously, you did. <laughs> yeah. um, so. One one last thing before we go to break is with a bigger squat than a deadlift this time. Did you use this meet as a motivator to do that? Was that one of the goals, or did that just happen? Oh yeah. My goal was 100%. Just just focus on the squat. Oh, that's it. Okay, that's yeah. really where, and these last few meets, that's all it's been, um, and that's literally why the only deadlifting I do is on Saturdays, and it's after I'm already wore out from my squat. So it's like, okay, I go pull, and I know, <laughs> and and generally then, like I hit some 675s and some light sevens in training, and I knew that, you know, even though the volume was considerably low, literally I was doing. Like, I pulled 675 in the gym literally 15 minutes after doing 700 for a double. On yeah. And I was like, I'm good. You know, I, if I can do that with a five-hour break. It's in place, uh, yeah. I'm not there. Yeah. You know? <clears throat> so. It is an interesting concept. Maybe we should do a deeper dive in a future show. Having conversations is a good way to bring this stuff out, I think, you know, but is these almost like um, sub-goals, not less important. I mean, but if the main goal is to go compete – and maybe it's maybe it is the sub goal is just I want a higher total than ever before. But maybe it's I'm about to squat this time, right? If everything else holds, holds oh, constant, if the bench and the deadlift are held constant. I'm I'm my sub goal is the squat, you know. And it, I think that would be true in a lot of sports. I mean, I know that's true in bodybuilding. You know, like I I want to have my, my back bring up my back this time. You know, you hear people talk about that kind of stuff. So yeah. it's, it's to me it only made sense because forever I was the deadlift guy. Um, and then for a while there, I had an okay bench. It was never great, but then I hurt my shoulder. So I just, I, I'd be stupid to concentrate on that because it's an injury holding me back. Not, I can't do anything about that. And I'm not going under the knife. Like I've talked about this before. I'm not going to go under the knife to bench for 500 when daily life doesn't hurt me. You know, I'll go yeah. under the knife if, and when daily life starts to suck. Yeah. Um, because I mean, I've seen too many shoulders go bad. Like, okay, now I can't squat. <laughs> you know? um, but it, it only made sense to me. It's like my whole concentration since coming back from this hip and hamstring has been the squat because it was like I was never great at that. Let's see what I can do. Let's take these years to concentrate on that now mm -hmm. because for years I concentrated on the deadlift. Um, so yeah, that makes that's kind of where I headed. Right, right on. Have you noticed one thing I've played around with a lot for years, and I just realized I probably have done this without really explaining it, is trying to figure out what my minimum, or I should say what the maximum weight I can hit with literally almost no very minimal warm-up and almost at the worst time of the day. So, like, I have a 100-pound-inch uh, mm -hmm. replica, and in the morning, I'll get up with, you know, no warm-up, wander out into the garage and just see if I can pick it up. Okay. You know, on days, and at first it was like, oh my God, I can't move it at all. Yeah. You know, but over the past, like, you know, four months, it's like done most days now, even on my worst day, I can walk out there, no chalk and pick it up. Mm -hmm. Four months ago, that was not possible. So I've been playing around with what is kind of the, the max sort of min, so to speak, that something that you can hit basically in your sleep. So not mm -hmm. necessarily bringing up your max number under the best possible cir circumstances all the time. Mm -hmm. But bringing up that minimum so that minimum is always higher. So, like, yep. your base level is higher. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, that makes total sense. But at the same time, there's 
like warming up for this meet, like it got to the point where 700 was a, I can do that any day. Yeah. Like without psyching myself up. Yeah. Um, but but there's it. no way I would go load 700 on bar cold and take a Yeah, break. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's a totally, that's a little different than a one inch dumbbell. Yeah. Oh, totally. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm just saying minimal no. effort, you know, you can go yep. in and hit it almost every day. Yes, and that's that's honestly a lot of what my training with myself and my clients revolves around. It's bringing yeah. up what I call your eighty percent. Yeah. Um, and eighty percent should be a number you can hit any day, even if you're sick. You know, generally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that's what we concentrate on. As long as that's going up, I know the others going up without getting there. Like I never went. Uh, I never went. I I did seven hundred for a double, and that was the highest I went. And I knew I was going much higher than that in this meet, and I didn't need to go there. Because the way I hit that, I know more is there without having to go there and risking yeah. the injury outside of the meet. In my mind, the only time to push that pedal to the floor is on the platform. Uh, I'm not an Instagram lifter. I mean, I don't even post. The only reason there's videos of me lately is because we have some new lifters at the gym that decided to start filming me. So <laughs> yeah, I don't set up a camera and film myself and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um I'm not doing this for that. I'm everything's geared towards what's important to me is putting that number up on the platform. So right, um, and that's when I put the pedal to the floor and see what can you're, happen. You're old, Phil. You're not an Instagram generation kind of guy, you know. No like selfies, <laughs> yeah. selfies, more selfies. <laughs> yeah, it, the the squat only, and that's that's the other reason why it's like it, it. It doesn't matter if my squat was an inch high. What matters because there's no judges. There's a judge. Yeah, it, it only matters when I'm in front of three judges what that lift does. So, yeah, it would be fun to go back and dig archive, like some photos and videos. Mike, I have some pictures of you and I up in Minnesota at the oh, um, yeah. boardwalk gym. <laughs> and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. People ever want to yeah, see yeah. what we're doing, you know, like actually just training and goofing around. I don't know. Um, I think maybe we will do a show on like absolute minimum capacity in the future, Mike. Yeah. I think that's a neat concept for me. It's always been like yeah. if I can get 10 reps with 70 pound dumbbells, and I have to do that with, with chest work because my shoulders are bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everything, everything's bad. But then I know that I, I can always do that, and I have a certain level of self-respect. Like, Phil, like you said, like you're not going to go into a meet, even though you don't really care about your bench. Yeah. To, to you personally, it's going to be embarrassing if you're in the 200s. Yeah, you know? yeah like, no, that's not how I'm That's not going to happen. Right. I would back out of the meet. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yes, exactly. <clears throat> For, I think for bodybuilders, it's leanness. Like, I would never get on stage without a, at least a certain level of leanness, right? Because otherwise, you're not just out of condition. You shouldn't be on that stage kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. You know, I shouldn't be in that higher up flight if my bench is, you know, they'd still put me in there because my squat and deadlift was high, but my bench is so crappy. It's like, I'd look like an idiot. Yeah, so. I get it. I get it. Okay, let's go to break. Uh, When we come back, we're going to just talk about Phil's arrival in California and the meet day, which, you know, might be a nice little story, some flavor. Hello, dear ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, yeah, you know who this is. Uh, so I'm here to tell you about uh, Dr. Mike T. Nelson's uh, new book, uh, Why You Should Eat Keto. I don't do it because, I mean, look at me. Come on, I'm fabulous and I'm fantastic. Anyway, you should text uh, Keto ebook all in one word to 44222 to receive your free copy. Do it. Do it now. Stop feeling. Some of us don't understand how lucky we are to be living in this. Hi, listeners. This is Rob Fortress Fortney. I'm here to remind you that as the holiday season approaches and your thoughts turn to giving, we like you to keep iron rating in your thoughts. 
Over the past several years, there have been hundreds of listener comments hoping that Iron Radio stays on the air for years to come. Iron Radio is here for you. But as with any public radio-type format, the show is listener-supported. That's where you come in. For just $4 a month, you become a supporting member, keeping your weekly dose of education, experts, and gym talk flowing. Just go to www.ironradio.org and click on the $4 monthly subscribe button near the bottom of the page. Or click the Donate button at the right of the page for a one-time donation. You are the Iron Brotherhood and Sisterhood. Of course, not everyone can afford to be a supporting member or a significant one-time donor. But for those of you willing to pitch in $4 per month or $50 just once, we're about to sweeten the deal. Become a supporting member or major donor between now and January, and a limited number of you will receive a gift worth over $20. And we will never forget our existing supporters. Simply email me via ironradio.org, and I'll send you a free seminar from Dr. Lowry on how to significantly and realistically boost your testosterone levels. Help your iron brothers and sisters who cannot pitch in but deserve better internet programming in our sports. And happy holidays. Hey listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle, oh, you poor meathead, all that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what. Uh, there is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, there's enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety, uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that. And uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single-digit uh, royalty on the book. But that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. But over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. Toward this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. All right, folks, we're back. It's Mike and Phil and Lonnie, and we're just talking about Phil's meat, just some gym talk. Um, it was a big meet, you know, PR in the squat. His squat surpassed the deadlift and that kind of stuff. And if you're just joining in, Phil's been at this a long time. I mean, obviously, the podcast itself has been going on a long time. But we're talking about some pretty high, high-end performance here with the kind of guys that Phil um, competes against and with. Uh, but let's talk about the story. Uh, so you, you went to California. Uh, did you get there a couple of days early? How do you deal with travel? Uh, I always Whatever. go early. So I want at least one day to just veg out. Um, so I got there Thursday. Um, I compete Saturday. So I got there Thursday evening, um, rested up. I We weigh in 24-hour weigh-in, so I went in and weighed in early Friday. Um, the plan was to be 308. That kind of went out the window. Uh, I made it up to like 288. 
and then my body revolted against me. Digestion? I was eating like, <laughs> well, that, yeah, a lot of digestion issues and just, it just decided to start dropping pounds. Oh. Um, so I was waking up at about 278. Um, and the class, class below, that's 275. So I was just like, I'm just going to eat and see where I'm at and come close to the meat. I was weighing in the last couple of weeks. It was like 276, 277. Um, so I was like, you know, I'll, I'll figure I'll just weigh in where I weigh in and things being as they are, you know, I get on a flight the day before and you don't eat as much as you normally do this and that. And, uh, so I went in and I just didn't eat anything or drink anything. Normally I'm the type of person that the minute I wake up, I'm in the fridge. Um, and I just didn't do that and waited and walked over or rode over to Jesse's and weighed in. I was 273.6 or something like that. <laughs> uh, and then, then basically like all my lifters that I go with and things like that are like, well, let's go do something. This and that. I don't do that. Me before a meet is it's literally just eating and laying down for the next 24 hours after I weigh in. Okay. Because I know, I know my sleep won't be great. For numerous reasons, you know, you're thinking about the meat. You're in a hotel. You're not in the same bed. You know, yeah. you're this, that, that. Yeah. So basically, what I found works for me as long as I just rest, even though I'm not sleeping. Uh, if I, as long as I'm laying down and catching a nap here and there, come the next day, I'm fine. Um, even if I don't get like eight hours unbroken sleep or whatever. So basically, that's all I did. I ate a lot of times, and uh, and rested as much as I could. I woke up and went to the meat the next day, and Eating a bunch proved itself worthy because I weighed in about 11 pounds heavier than I did 24 hours prior. <laughs> so I was like 284.5 uh, is what I weighed in when I walked in the gym. Uh, yeah, and then it was then it was go time, man. You so, know, all that hydration and you, just you know having food in your belly and your intestines and everything. I mean, I, I know not everybody wants to have a completely full stomach and shit their pants yeah. when they squat and everything else, but yeah. but just feeling. <laughs> A little bit of the hydration alone, I would think, you know, mm -hmm. of that 11 pounds, some of that was food in your GI tract. Some of it was just yeah. water, which is nice for just that feeling of being big and some leverage and that kind yeah. of stuff, I guess. Um, thing is lots of hydration the day before. You're yes. kind of overhydrated. Is that so. the big thing with powerlifters? Because I was going to ask, like, I know bodybuilders do. You almost have to talk them down. They do stupid stuff the last yeah. 24 mm -hmm. hours. Mm -hmm. Do powerlifters mm -hmm. do that or not so much? They just eat and... It's well, you'll see some people just don't eat enough and don't hydrate enough and then they cramp. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of uh, the lifters that are that do well generally have a really big concentration on eating and, and hydrating as much as you can, especially those who cut. Um, like I don't cut, but if you cut, you're you better concentrate a lot on getting a lot of fluids back in. I mean, to the point of it's not un, unheard of to like meat directors will have people to run IVs for you. And things like that to get you rehydrated. Wow. So I've seen wow. meats that offer that. Like $20 and you can get a IV bag. Unreal. Um, yeah. So just to help you get rehydrated if you're cutting. Because some of these guys will cut. I mean, I would hate to guess what a couple of them cut, but it was more than 30 pounds. Yes. <laughs> so in, in, in hydration mainly. Yep. So, uh, yeah. So getting that back on in 24 hours. That's tough to do just drinking. <laughs> That's know? interesting. Yeah. Because you're going you're gonna to pee out a lot of that. Um, but uh, so, yeah, you'll see some of that stuff going on. and So. Uh, yeah, that's wild stuff. I don't think most people – it's sort of like with the, um, the fecal samples and stuff that you've been doing and stuff. <laughs> like I really want scientists to do case studies because I don't think most people I would talk to – I bet you, you'd concur with this, Mike. If we went to an exercise phys conference – not to like an NSCA or where there might be people who are competitors and in the trenches, but and we told them that people would gain, lose and then regain thirty plus pounds in like oh, yeah. a day. I don't think they'd believe us. I honestly yeah. don't think yeah. they believe us. Well, I honestly think I think powerlifting, like there's the, it goes on in wrestling, it goes on in other sports like that, UFC, and but I think powerlifting might have the biggest cuts just because that twenty four hour weigh in. Yeah. It's hard to you can't do that in wrestling and then like okay you're on the mat in an hour. No. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. You're not going to be worth a shit. Yeah. But with that 24 hour weigh in it, it it allows it and so Do you agree with that? It it seems like it's not representative of your actual weight on the platform but maybe that's not the point. 
Well, I mean, as long as it's as long as everybody gets that window, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. you have the option to cut too. You know, just because you didn't doesn't mean you can't. Yeah. So it's it's fair. I mean, everybody has the same window. Now, if somebody had an hour window and somebody had a twenty four hour window, now it's not. But right. basically, what happened was people, from my understanding, talking to people that have been that are even more ancient than myself, um, and have been around powerlifting even longer. <laughs> Does that happen? They, yeah, <laughs> they They're changed to that rule because people were making that cut anyways, and there were lots of injuries going on and things like that. So they're like, "We're just changing it because oh. they're doing it anyways. Let's make it a little out of yeah. safety. Um, yeah. It made it safer. There were less injuries, less tears, less passing out, less this and that. Then um, there are still feds out there that have like a two-hour weigh-in, but uh, most of them now are twenty-four. Yeah, I can understand that. I mean, I've, I remember just talking to wrestlers before. Like, they don't want to move up a weight class because they'll be like, there's no way those guys are monsters. It's like, but that's what yeah. you weigh. But they're like, but those guys weigh 12 pounds more than that. And, yeah, right? Over that. And you're, they're dehydrated. Yeah. And I can see that with you, when the body weights are all, all around 275 to 300 pounds, you're talking that's even 10% of that is yeah. 27.5 to 30 pounds. Yeah. swing so like you could but actually be squatting there. against someone who's 30 pounds bigger than you are if you yeah. didn't dehydrate yeah even then i still think it takes it takes a percentage off their their actual ability i mean i've seen it and guys that like looked amazing in training it's like oh it's not quite as good as it was and i think that big cut still even if you get your weight back up that's a stressor man that's, that's a, a big stressor. stressor yeah no so. one sleeps good that night before they barely yeah. sleep at all and yeah, all the time exactly. into doing it and trying yep. to get hydrated and electrolytes and i yep. felt that myself so, yep and uh, yeah it's and then having to come up you know like on bodybuilding you go up on stage and flex like okay you just dehydrated 30 pounds off now you're going to squat 800 <laughs> yeah no no right. no mm-hmm. <laughs> Totally get it. So, totally I mean, I've get done it. it. But I, I gave up on that a long time ago. It was like it's not worth it. I mean, in my mind, and this is what I tell my clients, you know, we will cut when you're breaking a world record. Yeah, that's it. That's really the only. Re- or winning like thirty grand or something. You know, <laughs> it, it, we're not going to go. You know, do a stressor like that to win the state record. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not worth it. So what about the other? What about the other big guys at the meet? Like the guys you know that were competing and that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, did any of them cut? Or when you get that big, everybody's just like, no, I don't cut. Oh, no. They, they definitely cut. Like Herbie cut. Uh, he broke the world record squat. Um, what was he, 242? Squatted like 956. And Woo! he's, he's got to be walking around at 270. Um, he's a big boy. Wow. And, uh, yeah, so there were several that definitely cut down. Okay, so, yeah, I see. Uh, so then it's go time. You know, you've done your usual fill thing, like leave me alone, eat, be, you know, be still. For uh, you, you get to the meat. What's what's happening? What's going through your head? I mean, is it? Did it feel the same as other contests? Did it feel different? This one felt better. This one, it was the first one in a long time that I was up. Man, I was like, okay, you know, I got. It's hard to explain. There's a zone that you get into, and I felt that this whole day um and i knew i was in a good spot um my last meet i didn't and uh like having to force yourself to get hyped up i didn't have to do that basically what i was having to do all day was force myself to get down um so i woke up had a big breakfast luckily i was third flight i was end of third flight so i know coming in meet starts at nine um i don't won't be on the platform till 11 something so I've got a few hours before we even start warming up. Um, so for me, it was okay to wake up early. I went and got a big, big breakfast about 8 o'clock, and that's going to be my meal of the day pretty much, um, my big meal of the day. Um, and get to the meet, and I just hang out. Uh, I had that one lifter in a flight before me that I didn't have to do much for. And, uh, you know, it's just hanging out, talking, relaxing, trying to keep myself just calm and and in a good spot i don't it's not nervous that i get i don't get nervous because i really love these things i get amped up um nerves just don't happen for me anymore it's more like oh crap i'm about to do this you know well hey guys watch me look what i'm gonna do type of thing uh Mm -hmm. and i was in that i was in that zone 
So, and then squat warmups came along. Everything was feeling good. Um, it was a little, it was a lot cramped. Uh, it's a small space back there. Um, I have everything that we need, but, uh, the meat was running really well, meaning it was running fast. So we're warming up and basically we skipped my last warm up because things came up so fast, but I felt good. So I didn't mind. So basically I opened at, tell the open at 678 and my last warm up was a hundred pounds lighter than that. 585, uh, roughly 580. So, um, we were going to take a, like a 635 just as the last warm up, but I was like, let's just take this. I'm good. You know, I'm ready to go. Um, came out, got called up, went up there and hit it fine. Uh, it, it could have been better, but I knew what I did wrong. I was just a little out of position and it came up fine. Um, I was pretty confident going on my next one, so we called 723, um, so roughly a 50-pound jump, and uh, I was 100% confident in that, too, even though I'd never done this. This is 20-some pounds more than I've ever done. Uh, squat down, I get out of position. I, I'm coming up, and uh, I, I shifted forward. I bent at the hip just a little too much, and when I do that, a couple things happen. You get on your toes, um, oh, yeah. which makes the lift really hard, but usually in the past, I've been able to grind through that because I have such a strong back. Basically, it, it, it loads everything on the hips and, a, and then sheer force across your spine. Um, and in the past, because I have such a strong back, I've been able to push through that. Now what happens when that happens is I get shooting pain in my hip where the replacement is, mm. like in the capsule. So it's like, uh, you guys, I just had to tell them you're going to have to take it because I, I just can't push against that pain. It's hard to push hard against something that feels like a knife shoving into your hip. Yeah. So I had them take that, and I was like, shit. Uh, there goes my plans of going 800. Um, the plan was 800 or whatever. Like, It was always like, if I hit 722 and it feels hardish, I'm going to go with 780 and take something home. I'm going to take something I know I can hit. Because um, I'd rather hit like a 780 than get crushed by an 800. But if I 800 was there, we were going to go for it. And anyways, uh, went ahead and took the 722 again because that was a PR, and I wanted that and killed it on my third. So basically hit hit all the right positions and stood right up. Um, enough so that I'm sitting there talking to the spotters while I'm coming up. Uh, so that went well. Uh, squat's done. Now I go get a small meal. So he usually has good food trucks there. So basically I just got a little little bit of rice and chicken. That will be the last whole food I have for the day until the meet's over um, because I know I can eat before bench. I know I should not eat before deadlift <laughs> <Okay. laughs> because you know, it'll, it'll tend to want to come up. Um, so I had a little like a, a rice bowl and then rested my couple hours, drank more. I don't know. I probably went through like 20 Gatorades that day. Um, just made sure to cram those down. I mean, I'd rather be peeing a bunch than cramping. Mm -hmm. So drank a bunch of Gatorade. Uh, bench comes up. I literally take my standard warm-up, which is like 135 for one, 225 for one, 275 for one. Okay, I'm good to go. So <laughs> because I know I got 315 any day. I opened at 340, 335, 340, something like that. It went fine. But I could already feel that eh, the shoulder's not in a good spot today. Um, so I called 365 for my second. And... Made it fine. Like, it's hard to explain because, you know, I've benched mid fours. So, like, 360 doesn't feel heavy. Um, it just gets to a point where when I'm pushing it, I can tell, like, I can sit there and hold it and tell you if I push harder, guys, which I can, my shoulder is going to come out of socket. Mm. Um, so, basically, I made this lift, but I could feel like if I go up, we're going to have problems. So, I just scratched my third. Um, didn't even take it. It's not worth it. I want to walk away. That's the, the number one goal really every day is in a meet now is walking away in one piece. I don't want to end up in a hospital in California. Um, yeah. So called that, um, went and rested deadlifts coming up and, uh, it's feeling good. You know, warmups are going fine. I don't warm up a lot for deadlift either. In my mind, if, if you've already squatted 700 and bench 360, if you're not warm now, you ain't getting warm. Mm -hmm. So a ton of warm-ups on deadlift, you're just wasting energy. 
So basically, I took 135 for one, 225 for one, 315 for one, 405 for one, 495 for one, 585 for one. That's it. Um, so what is that? Six singles. Um, and my opener was 650. I called that, even though that's a super easy lift for me, and I normally open around seven. I called 650 because I didn't know how much the squat would take out of me. Like I said, this will be the first time I've ever squatted 700 or over and deadlifted over 700. Right. Um, I go out there. I get myself jacked up. I'm ready to go. I pull the bar, and it's too light. I pull way too hard for what's on the bar. <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically I pulled way too hard for what's on the bar. It flies the lockout, and uh, – I shifted way back on my heels and I'm falling over. So, um, and basically I had to drop the bar. It was either drop the bar or let 650 pounds fall on me as I fall on my back. Um, so that lift doesn't count. I'm like, I'm fine with that. I don't care because it was stupid easy. So I take the 50 pound jump to 700 and, uh, at this point I'm really jacked up. Uh, it was a, it's a good feeling to feel. It's a feeling I like. Um, because I don't feel it that often anymore. I used to feel it all the time, like in training and everything. Um, but I'm in this place where it's like, I'm going to kill this thing. Uh, <clears throat> so I'm pacing and like, everybody sit down. I'm like, no, that doesn't work for me. Basically, <laughs> I, I just slowly walk around. Um, so I'm walking back and forth, waiting my turn to come up, um, go out there and crush 700. But, uh, the same, oh, I forgot to mention, I cramped up. My hamstring did cramp up a little bit on that 722, but it was way down low. Uh, it was down by the uh, insertion, so down by my knee. Um, so I wasn't worried about that. It was just a slight little cramp. Now, uh, whereas in the last meet, it cramped up right where they uh, repaired it at the origin. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, okay, it was down there. We're good. You know, it was just a slight little cramp that happens. Uh, you know, it was 722 pounds on your back. Um, so, anyways, I pulled the 700. And uh, it flies up, but I feel that cramp and slight pain right in that spot where they, they rehooked the hamstring up. And I'm like, man, I just played it smart, and I scratched my third. Um, the plan was to go seven. All I needed was 724, I think, to get an 18 even. I was either going to take that or 750, and I think either one of them was there the way that moved. But in hindsight, I'm glad I called it because even as I stand here today, my butt still hurts. Um, mm. It a little damage in there. There was no this time. There was no blood after the last meet. I had a slight tear because there was some blood pooling and things in my hamstring. But this time, there's none. But it's like I don't know. It feels like somebody punched me in the ass. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it feels like it's bruised up in there. So that was well, wise. Yeah. And yeah, so I'm glad I did it because something worse probably would have happened. And I was like, man, I'm still good. I pulled seven. That's I need to do at least do that. And I've never done that and and, and squatted. And you know, I had I had some work done. I had some dry needling and things done before this meet on my hamstring. And basically we have a lot of scar tissue and stuff built up there. And he wanted to get a couple more sessions in, but we didn't have time because he didn't want to do one closer than a month out to the meet. Uh so I'll get a lot of that done. Basically that's something I need to work out. Um, before my next meet um, because he's he's pretty sure that's why it's cramping up there is just scar tissues and stuff that are built up and it's right where the hamstring <clears throat> and the glute kind of meet yep and go over each other so he said that's what you got going on he said you got stuff hitting each other and it's it's doing that so we need to break it all up and i just didn't have time to get that all done uh so that's going to be a concentration this time but anyways killed the 700 and, and moved on and uh had a good day. One of my guys uh, pulled 750, and this is so. This was probably the happiest moment of the weekend. So, I have a gentleman that joined me six months ago, and three years ago he was in a meet and he tore everything in both legs. So, total detachment of patella, quad tendons, ACL, MCL, Jesus, both legs. Oh my gosh. Legs. So both legs were totally just gone. Um, the only thing he had still hooked up on both legs was the hamstrings. Um, and up until he came on with me, he just was not squatting and uh, and doing really any uh, loaded leg extension and flexion work. 
So day one, I had him do step-ups. We did like 50 step-ups to a 12-inch tall box. He was wrecked for like four days. Um, anyways, I got him back squatting. I was like, you know, we need to squat. I said, because he was pulling 650 at this time. Oh, wow. Uh, and so that his deadlifts were fine. Um, he, he was just doing no. He was scared, I think it was, mainly of anything that loaded the, the knee. And so I got him doing step-ups, and then we slowly worked on the squats. And then to mentally help him, we started doing reverse band squats where you anchor the bands at the top. So as you go down, it gets lighter. Mm-hmm. So we worked him up to like 315 on that. So in the bottom, it's only two-something. So And that was a big mental hurdle. Anyways, he came in, and I talked him into doing a full meet because he was just going to do push-pull. He came in and squatted probably the easiest 315 I've ever seen. Uh and I mean, and was just elated. You know, this is somebody that doctors told him he'd probably never walk again. Yeah. And he just went, and I'm, you know, it's convincing him that, hey, dude, you'll probably never be a 700 pound squatter, but we can go do a full meet and squat, you know, because you doing 315 is damn impressive. You blew everything. So, yeah. um, so he did that and then he benched for 60, I think it was. And, uh, his last meet, which was about three months ago, I got him to his first 700 which he didn't believe would happen, uh, he crushed 750. I mean, just obliterated it. So uh, really good day for him. <clears throat> and then one of my other guys squatted like 677, benched 420, pulled 630 or 730. Uh, we had a good day. One of my girls hit all PRs. So you know, the, was, all in all, it was a worthwhile meet. The guy so. with the knee damage, he's almost analogous to you. Maybe he has, um, I hate to say poverty squat, you know, but – yeah. Maybe that's where he just goes and he focuses on other stuff. He always takes sort of a yeah. token squat. You know, it doesn't yeah. have to be 700, you know, uh, just approaches it a little differently. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's just, I mean, to me, it's always been because I've been through a lot of stuff. There's something in me that is wired to love to do things that they say I'll never do again. Uh, Even if I can't do them at a huge level, you know, I've come back and done a lot of things that they said or never said I said I'd never do again at a big level. But just to go in there and say, look, look, Doc, I did it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's only three fifteen, but uh, I did it, and I can do this. You know, and that's okay. And it's, who cares what everybody else says? I go, oh, he's only squatting three fifteen. He's two fifty. Well, yeah, look at his legs. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. He blew everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just being able to do that is a the mental capacity to come back from that's huge. So, oh, I mean, yeah. cause, cause you watch the video and it was horrific. Um, oh. Like everything just went boom and he went wet noodle to the floor with a bunch of weight on his back. So, right. Oh. Yeah. Uh, that, that takes heroic courage to, yeah, to build back from that, not to let yeah. that ruin you forever. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Even just well, to get under a bar again. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So, and now he's got some leg dumb. His, his, his quads are way, way, way behind, but they're coming back somewhat and things like that. So, um, and it's done nothing but help us deadlift by us yeah. just doing some reps with, <laughs> with weight. I mean, your hamstrings are only, our, our bodies like balance. And if that hamstring is like 25 times stronger, you <laughs> right. know, than, than your quads, it's mm. gonna at some point it's just gonna say no more. I'm not giving you more. So yeah, the extreme adaptability of the human body. I think very few sports demonstrate that, like bodybuilding and powerlifting. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you reattach yeah. something, and how incredibly <clears throat> strong that could become, or how the body compensates with surrounding tissues, yeah. or or whatever. Yeah. It's just it's very yeah. Because cool he has he has all cadaver tendons, pretty much so uh. placed with other people's. Wow. So. Wow. Yeah. Well, I'm glad it went well all around. Yeah. Yeah. Right, it was a good time. It was a good time. And I'll be back again next year. I've got other people coming up for other meets soon. So I'm going into off-season mode. I'm actually contemplating uh, going in single-ply gear for the first time. So oh, wow. we'll see. We'll see. That's that's crossing my mind. I'm waiting for my weight to get down. I'm already down. What did I say? I weighed in like 284. I was weighted today at 265. Oh, wow. So, so I'm down already and feeling much better. Uh, <laughs> weights will be heavy, but daily life feels wonderful. I'm eating lots of vegetables and <laughs> normal rice and yeah. oatmeal. And, yeah. Uh, or not so. eating sometimes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't have to eat. I just get to eat when I'm hungry, and it's amazing. Give your <laughs> GI tract a rest. You know. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. 
Okay. Well, I'm, I'm glad we were able to catch up with everything like that. Like I said, it's yeah. fun stories to watch this yeah. and to hear, like when it's fresh, you know, in your mind and stuff. All right, folks, yeah. we will uh, return next week. We, we're lining up some guests. Uh, we've got the holidays coming, but long-term listeners know we'll be there one way or another. Yeah. So sometimes it's just for your holiday listening while you're digesting turkey. So. Yep. All right. See you then. Yeah. See you. Hey listeners, have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store. One for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry. And they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store. Uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, The stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org and um, let us know what you think on the forums and certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding. Um, Please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.